Dear congregation, welcome to worship this evening. And as we come to worship, we hear our Lord's call to worship from Psalm 111, the first verse. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. And as we gather for worship this evening, we once more confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who has made heaven and earth. And we receive his greeting. Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Please turn with me in the scriptures to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42. We'll read the first nine verses. Let's hear the word of our God. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax he shall, he, shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, he that gives breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles." to open thee blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So far the reading of God's holy word. Dear church family, from the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Lord came with the coming news that there was one coming. As he searched out Adam and Eve and he said, Adam, where are you? We know that beautiful promise found in Genesis 3.15 of, of a seed that was coming, that would crush the head of the serpent. And as we anticipate our Lord Jesus coming, as we reflect in these Advent weeks of, of the coming Lord, we're thankful that we just don't have Genesis 3.15, although it's a, a precious truth, but the Lord in his mercy, uh, in his progressive revelation, continued 
one thing after another, revealing something else, something more, with greater clarity and detail of who this one seed that was coming, who he would be. Who this seed would be that would come and crush the head of the serpent. He reveals who he's going to destroy, what he's going to conquer, but also who he's going to deliver. Again and again, as you, as you read through the, the Old Testament and into the New, we get this clearer and clearer picture of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And this evening we come to the book of Isaiah. And some have referred to this as the fifth gospel or the Old Testament gospel. We think of passages in this, in this book that, that detail for us with, with incredible detail and poignancy the suffering and death of our Lord. We think of chapters like chapter 53, which where Isaiah is, is you wonder like, was he at the foot of the cross as he, as he writes this chapter? And then we have those beautiful invitations that Isaiah presents on behalf of the Lord to sinners in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come ye to the waters, come and buy and eat, come buy without money, without price. But Isaiah is also realistic about the challenges, the difficulties. He, he doesn't negate or wash over who we are as human beings. He recognizes our, our incredible need for, for comfort, to be helped. We think of Isaiah 41 as, uh, Isaiah 40 verse 1 as he comes with that cry, comfort ye, comfort ye my people saith your God. He knows that we're a people in need of comfort and peace. He knows that we're a people who, who, who long for communion. And he knows, Isaiah, Isaiah and the Lord recognize that there are times where it seems like, as we read in Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40 verse 27, my way is hid from the Lord. And my, and my judgment is passed over from my God. And we long, long for comfort. We, we, like Simeon, we long to see the salvation of the Lord. That salvation that, as Simeon describes, is to a light, to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people. Well, Isaiah directs us to, to this one again and again. And as we come to Isaiah 41, he's going to describe with an incredible contrast who the Lord is as one to help. As we see in verses 10 through 14 of 41, that he is the God of his people and he will help them. Compared to the gods of this world, of our imagination, who, are, who can't help us. In contrast to these weak idols, Isaiah tells us that the Lord is powerful and strong to save, strong to deliver, to help us, to sustain us. But as we, as we read through question, or chapter 41, we're left with the question in our hearts, our minds, 
Lord, how will you help us? Where, where is this help going to come from? Where, where is deliverance coming from? Because as, as Dr. Beakey alluded to at the beginning of the sermon this morning, it seems like the, the evil world, the minions of this evil world, the, the challenges seem to be gaining on every side. It seems like corruption is rampant all around us, no matter where we look. It seems like Satan's winning at times. So where do we look? In the midst of this seeming confusion and the chaos, the Lord comes and he says to his people through his servant Isaiah, and he says, he speaks to us today and he says, behold, behold, stop, look up, pay attention, behold. And he actually ends chapter 41 with that declaration or that interjection, behold, I want you to stop, I want you to pay attention, I want you to take notice that all these idol gods, they, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. Don't take stock in the seeming success of the wicked. Don't see the seeming success as something worthwhile. It's vanity. It will come to nothing. Their God, these gods, these ideologies, they're empty and they're filled with confusion. They will collapse in on themselves. But the Lord just doesn't tell us to behold the emptiness of the idols. No, the next verse, he comes again. Behold. Like the Lord says, I want you to behold something that is so much more glorious. I want you to behold something that is so much more beautiful. I want you to behold the answer to the emptiness, the confusion of heart. I want you to find and see the one who can answer the pain, the darkness, who can open our eyes. I want you to behold, to stop and consider and look at my servant. Behold, my servant, says the Lord. And dear church family, this evening I want, with the help of the Lord, to direct your attention to the Lord's servant. I want you to behold him. And I want you to to have him in view this week, as you go into this week, beholding the Lord's servant. And as we do that tonight, I want to uh, consider the servant's introduction that we are given in the first four verses of chapter 42. And then I want to see in the second, in our second thought, in the second half of the, of our passage, the servant's work initiated. Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 9 is the first of four prominent poetic songs found in Isaiah's prophecy that focus our attention on the servant of the Lord. 
And tonight we'll pick up this first song. The Lord willing, on Wednesday evening we'll pick up the second song from Isaiah 49. And Sunday morning we hope to consider the third song from Isaiah 50. And God willing, when we come to the weeks of passion, we'll consider the fourth song from Isaiah 52, verse 12, and the rest of Isaiah 53. Behold, my servant. Immediately we're confronted with the question of who's speaking? And who's being spoken about? And who is being spoken to? Who, who is speaking? Well, verse 5 clearly tells us that it is the Lord who is calling our attention. We read in verse 5 that it is God the Lord who is speaking. Thus saith God the Lord. The mighty God, the creator of the world, the one who, who stretched out the heavens who spread out the earth, the one who gives breath to each of us and spirit to us to walk in this earth. He comes and he speaks in this song. In the first part of the, in the, first part of the song, he speaks to his people, to the people of Israel, to us. And the second part of the song, he takes, he turns his attention and he speaks to his son to the servant. We read, he calls our attention, Behold, my servant. Behold, my servant. Children, if you think of a servant, you probably are thinking of a, someone of a, of a lowly position, um, does menial tasks. It's not something that's generally considered honorable. And so maybe you're saying, why a servant? Wouldn't a a king or some other powerful military person be more appropriate to help or to protect or to uphold? Why, Why a servant? Well, when the Lord uses this title, it's it's really a title, the title of a servant, he speaks of one who has been identified and, and called to a, a set apart for a specific task. The scriptures use the term positively. One commentator says it's, it, it refers to one who stands in a particular relationship to God called to some particular activity. It's a designation of honor. And this is going to become evident as we consider the characteristics of the servant. But who, who is this servant that the Lord is introducing us to? Well, back in, in chapter 41, in verse 8, we, we read the Lord speaking, But thou, Israel, art my servant. So is the Lord referring to, to Israel? Well, the context tells us that it cannot be Israel. Israel was in need of help. They couldn't help themselves. There had to be someone better, more glorious, that was going to be able to speak into their lives, that was going to be able to address the need of Israel, of us. And as we, as we read the scripture, we, we now come to the realization that this title of servant is always is used in the context of the Davidic line of 
kings as well. The servant would be one who was of the household of David. The servant was going to be a king. And as we come to the New Testament, Matthew tells us, as Matthew quotes the first four verses of this song, in Matthew 12, verses 17 through 21, he directs our attention to the fact that it is Jesus who is this servant that the Lord is introducing us to in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant. Behold Jesus. Behold my beloved son, the Lord says to us this evening. And maybe the question, or the question that should be on our hearts and minds, Lord, what are we to behold of thy son? What, what should we see in thy beloved son, thy servant? What should we direct our attention to? Well, the Lord, as he comes through the prophet Isaiah, begins to describe, and we get a beautiful description of who the servant is, of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And as we consider the, the, this char- the, the description of our Lord, we want to consider five, five aspects of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we hear, as we hear the description of, of the Savior, of Christ, if we know something of Him, our hearts are going to echo and want to praise Him in response to who He is as the Lord reveals Him to us. And friend, if you know nothing of this servant, I pray that as we hear His description, it would draw your hearts to Him that you would long for him, desire to know him. Well, in the first place, we see that this servant is a chosen and kept servant. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. The Lord says, my servant is my elect, my chosen one. This word for elect or chosen one is is always used and is only used in reference to something that the Lord has chosen. The Lord chose his servant. He chose Christ with purpose and intentionality chose to send his servant, his beloved son, the king of kings, into this world. Ephesians tells us that from before the foundations of the world, the the Father has chosen a people for himself in Christ to redeem. So this was a, a, a choice that was made in before the foundations of the world that his son our Lord Jesus Christ, would come. Not only was he chosen, the Lord says, I'm going to uphold my servant. He would uphold him. Christ, as the servant, would be sustained in his human nature 
as he humbled himself, as, as, he, as he came into this world. One commentator writes, this word uphold refers to the fact that divine aid was vouchsafed to the servant. And the fact that God thus sustains the servant shows that God holds him in deepest affection. Jesus in his humanity was upheld by his heavenly Father, sustained by his divinity to be the servant that you and I need so that we may see the light. He's a chosen servant who will be upheld. He will not fail. And in that sense, and and as this word uphold already has indicated, there's something the Lord values his servant. And he tells us as much, this chosen servant is one that he delights in. He says, my soul delights in him. My entire being delights in my servant. Isn't it what the father said as his son came to the world again and again at his baptism and later at his transfiguration? This is my well-beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And friend, if the, if, if the father is well-pleased and delights in his servant, then so should we. We're called to delight in the servant. We're called to rejoice in him. And dear people of God, may we, may we come, even as, as cold as we are, the dryness, the apathy that so often overwhelms us, may we come and enjoy him this coming Lord's Day and remembering what he has done for, for sinners like, like us. Oh, delight in the Lord's servant. Long to commune with him. Look forward to next Lord's Day to commune with your Lord and Savior. Not only was the servant of the Lord a, a, a chosen servant, a, a, one who was delighted in, but in the second place, we note that the servant of the Lord was an equipped servant. The Lord says, I have put my spirit upon him. The servant had a divine, was divinely appointed with the spirit. He was in The Spirit empowered Christ in his human nature to fulfill what the Father was going to call him to do. The Lord not only chose his servant, not only sustained him, but fully equipped him to be the servant who would would complete the mission that the Father was sending him to do. And we read this in the end of verse 1. His Spirit was equipping Christ so that he would he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. There is a certainty and a finality. The the servant is equipped, well-equipped, and he will accomplish the very purposes for which he came. He shall bring forth judgment. Now, as as we read this first song, 
the focus of the song is on the introduction of the servant. And we don't so much as read the, the challenge that the servant is going to face, the difficult mission that is before him. That will come in the later, in the later songs, in the following songs. But it highlights, the song highlights the fact that Christ was well equipped and would be successful. He would bring forth judgment. He would accomplish his purposes. And we know as we read the, the, in the New Testament that from the very beginning of Christ's earthly existence, the Spirit was actively involved at his conception. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. The Spirit was involved in his temptation as he began his earthly ministry. We read, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then at his baptism, the Spirit descended upon him. Jesus was suitably equipped to be your servant, dear child of God, to be the Savior of his people. And having accomplished his tasks, we know he now sits at the Father's right hand. And he has now sent his Spirit to equip the people of God. He has poured out his Spirit. And thirdly, the Lord's servant would be a humble servant. We read in verse 2, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard. Jesus came humbly into this world. He came as a little baby. He grew up as a, as a, as a boy, working in his, father's work, his earthly father's workshop. He lived for 30 years in essential obscurity. And even as he began his earthly ministry, he did not draw attention to himself specifically. He did not go out into the public square and, and, and announce his arrival. No, he quietly went about his ministry. How many times do we not read in the New Testament as he, as he heals someone and he instructs them, don't make this known. Oh yes, there were times that he, he was confronted with. The Pharisees, as they came, they challenged him. But he wasn't going about lifting up his voice, crying, calling attention to himself. But he was purposefully, intentionally going through the land. And at times even avoiding certain situations or leaving at certain times. He humbled himself, says the Apostle Paul. He's the meek and lowly one. And he ministered among the weak and lowly to to search them out and to bind them up. But not only was he a humble servant, but he was a gracious and compassionate servant. In verse 3, 
describes us with this beautiful picture. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. The Lord uses two word pictures here to help us understand the very character of his servant. He uses two, two pictures of, of rather weak and hopeless images. A bruised reed or a crushed reed or a smoking flax. In themselves, uh, reeds were, are weak in, without being bruised or crushed. But when a, when a reed is bruised or crushed, it, it has essentially no hope of recovering or being found useful again. Or smoking flax. Seems like, where's the flame going to come? It, it was easier to just snuff it out and start fresh. And maybe, maybe you feel like that you're this bruised reed, smoking flux, broken. Maybe you feel empty, maybe disillusioned with yourself, with others, desperate need of hope. And as you look, as you look at yourself, you, you see Unworthiness. You see sin. And why would, why would God save such a, a person like me? But we read in this verse, that a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. No, our gracious Lord has, has compassion on the weak and lowly, on the down and out, and he binds up the brokenhearted. He lifts up the downtrodden. He cares for the oppressed. He won't snuff out that smoking flax. He, he won't, as it were, fully break the, the bruised reed. No, Isaiah writes here, he shall, this is what he shall do, he shall bring forth judgment unto, unto truth. He will bring forth the case of his weak people. He, he will deal truthfully with them. He will establish justice on their behalf. Because he is the truth. He is, he is the way. He, and as John tells us, it is through him being the truth, the way that there is a way back to the Father. There is a way back for restoration into the very presence of God, for, for hurting people, for disillusioned people, for those who are strangers to them, for those who are, who are as it were, like feel like they're going to be just snuffed out for broken and bruised reeds. He's the one who, who comes and gives hope and purpose as he, as he brings such ones into, into a relationship with him and makes them children of God, adopted into his, his family. Je- Jesus, the servant of God, the gracious and compassionate servant, will show pity on his hurting people. 
And one of the ways that he does this in an ongoing way among us is not only through the preached word, but with opportunities like we have next week to come and remember his death, to feed off of him in the sacrament. So if you are a a bruised reed and smoking flax and feels like your flame is going to just completely be extinguished, he calls you next week to come and dine. Come and be tenderly supported and cared for. Come to have that ember fanned into a flame once, once more. Dear little one or weak and helpless one, the fact that you feel and are aware of your weakness, made sensible to your, your miserable, sorry condition, speaks to the presence of life. And Jesus calls you and to come, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be supported, so that you will grow in Him. So we've seen that the servant of the Lord is, is a chosen servant, an equipped servant, a humble servant, a gracious servant. But finally, the Lord draws our attention to the fact that his servant will be successful. He will accomplish the, the purposes for why he come. We read in verse 4, He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and isles shall wait for his law. This, this could be uh, translated... And I think it better captures what's going on, particularly as it's related to the previous verse. It could be translated, he shall not grow dim and he shall not be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. The smoking flax will not be quenched because he will not grow dim. The bruised reed will not be broken because he will not be broken. He can be gracious towards the weak and lowly because he has been successful in his mission. He has established justice in the earth among all people, all nations, all tribes. His gospel will be hoped in. His law will be waited on. And this is going to extend throughout all the earth. We see the the extent of the success of the servant's mission. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all people's and friends, we see that the recipient, we are recipients of that. We were not, we are not Jews. And as Gentiles, we are the recipients of the success of the servant. It says that the, the nations, the isle, shall wait for his law. This could be translated, the isle shall hope in his word, his teaching. Do you hope in his word? Do you long to hear his word? 
from Lord's Day to Lord's Day? Do you long to, to be in the Word, to hear Him speak? Can you, go, can you go a day without it, a week without it? If you can, friend, you're in a, in a troublous spot. Those that love the Lord love to hear his word, love to, to have it spoken into their lives. It's in the word that we are directed to the servant. It's in the word that we hear about him and get to know him and see him for who he is as the spirit applies the word to our hearts and our lives. The Father says, Behold my servant. I delight in him. And I want you to know him. And he calls us to to come to him. To rest in him. Friend, are you beholding the servant of the Lord? Do you delight in him? Do you love to hear his word? Do you long to commune with him? Well, we pray that this week would be a week where we behold him in his glory and his beauty. And then next week, God willing, behold him again in the word, but also in the sacrament. But not only does the Lord come to us and call us to behold him, he now turns to his son and he speaks to his servant as he tells his servant what he is called to do. But we'll look at that in our our second thought. As we transition from the Lord introducing the servant to us, we now see the Lord transitioning in verse 5 and 6 as he turns to his servant and speaks to him, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, the covenant-initiating, covenant-keeping Lord, covenant-fulfilling God, call thee. The one who has initiated covenant with his, his people of old and who keeps covenant comes to his servant and says to him, I have called thee in righteousness. I have selected, I have designated and prepared you for this task of being my servant. I have selected you because you are the only one that meets the standard of my righteousness and is able to complete this task that I am calling you to. God will not forgo His justice, His holiness, as He saves sinners. And He needed one who met His holy standards. His servant would be one who who had to be very God, but also a real human being. 
very God so that he could, he could bear the wrath of Almighty God against the sins of his people. But also a, a real human being who would live a perfect life with no sin. God chose his servant. Because he was the one who was very God and would become very man as the Apostle Paul describes in Philippians 2, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But not only called, the Lord says, I will hold thy hand. I will hold thee. I will keep thee. The work that the servant was being called to would be filled with difficulties and challenges, filled with suffering, And the father, as the father comes to his son, his servant, and says to him, I have called thee in righteousness, but I will hold thy hand. Fathers, maybe there's times where we hold our children's hand. Maybe it's a task that they're busy, they're doing, that requires some precision or safety, and we come along and hold their hand in the process. Maybe our hands are over their hands as they're as they're doing something. Or maybe there's a, a, a busy cross uh, street that we're crossing, and, and as we come to it, as we approach it with our children, we reach down and grab their hand as we, as we cross. And the father says to his son, I will hold thy hand. I will keep thee. I will sustain you so that the mission that, I give to, that I'm giving to you will be successful. And what was this mission? What was this task that the, the father was calling his son to? Well, he says, I'm giving you. I'm giving you for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles. It seems that there are two distinct parts here. I'm giving you to be a, a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. But friends, what we really have here is one mission, one goal. The servant is to be the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with Adam and with with Abraham and extended and renewed and amplified in Moses and David and throughout the Old Testament. A covenant that would ensure that Abraham's seed would be without number and would fill the earth and that there would be a tremendous blessing to the nations. And the Apostle Paul brings our attention to this in Galatians 3.16 when he says that Christ is the seed of Abraham. And then in Romans, he, Paul tells us that all the children, all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. The Lord was fulfilling His covenant. Jesus, the servant, was the fulfillment of the covenant that the Lord had promised given to Abraham back in Genesis, that he and his seed would be a blessing to the nations. And so as the servant is given as a covenant for the people or as a fulfillment of the covenant for the people, 
in fulfilling the covenant, he becomes the light to the world, to the nations of the world. And as, as the light of the world, as he comes into the light, as a, as a light into the world, we know John tells us that the, the world did not receive him. They didn't, he, he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. So Jesus did not just only come as a light to the Gentiles, but he came to deal with our blind hearts and eyes. He came to deal with the blindness of our, of our hearts. He came to strip away what was hindering our sight. He came to heal broken hearts that can and do not want to by nature to see him. And friends, by nature, we are blind prisoners, bound, bound and blinded by our sin and misery. And not just bound and blinded, but we love it. We think that we're free. We could try to convince ourselves that we have freedom. But when Christ comes, when he, when he opens our eyes to see for the first time, when he, when he release, releases us from the captivity of sin, from the bondage of Satan, then we recognize what freedom is. It's often only when we experience deliverance, when we have our eyes open, that we begin to see and grasp what we've been saved from and, and understand what true freedom is is we we come to see and and be able to say with the man who was born blind in John 9 I may not know much but this I know that I once was blind but now I see we can confess with our with our mouths that we are sinners that we are blind by nature But apart from God revealing that to us, deep down we don't really believe it. But after grace, when the Lord has pulled away the blindness of our eyes, of our hearts, we actually see how blind we really were. We see sin for what it was and is. We're able to see and recognize sin. That sin is against the Lord of the heavens and of the earth. Now we may not have all the answers. We still may be confused and not understand. But this we know. Or as I was once blind, now I see. Edward Young, the commentator, says... Light and freedom are found only when men are delivered. This is a work that they cannot of themselves perform. It must be wrought for them by the servant. Jesus, as the servant, came into this world to open and to open blind eyes and to release prisoners, release us from the bondage of sin. And Satan, have you come? Have you seen with new eyes, with new eyesight? 
Have you been set free? Maybe it doesn't feel like it. Maybe you, maybe the, the struggle and the intensity, uh, you see the sinfulness of sin in your own hearts and you're overwhelmed by it. Friend, may I ask you a question? Where, where did this struggle with sin and the sinfulness of your heart come from? Who's giving you eyes to see? Are you staying guilty before the Lord? Isn't it the servant of the Lord? Isn't it the one who died for the ungodly and even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us with Christ? Paul says in Ephesians, by grace ye are saved. Has the servant opened your eyes? Maybe you don't know all about him. You, you don't have full understanding like that blind man in John 9. As, they, as the Pharisees came and challenged him on saying, Who is this that healed? Who, who, who opened thine eyes? And confess that he is a sinner. And the, the man responded, If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Friend, by nature, you're not going to see the sinfulness of your sin. You're not going to see sin for what it is. It's only when the servant, when the Lord comes and reveals, opens your eyes. And friend, he will never stop there. He will come and also reveal himself in his character and his being. He will come and reveal himself as he did with that blind man in John 9. Go home and read that passage tonight. As, as the blind man is again, Jesus comes to him again. says, do you believe in the Son of God? And says, who is he, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus says, I'm standing before, before you. Friend, if the Lord has opened your eyes, he will not only show you the sinfulness of your sins, but he will, he will also lead you to him, to behold him in his beauty and his glory and his light. Friend, if you know something of him, he calls you next Lord's Day to come and worship him, to come and feed off of him. Even if you're weak like a smoking flax or a bruised reed. And the Lord concludes this song with this reality that he will get all the glory. I am the Lord. He reminds us again in verse 8. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Connecting us back to 41, chapter 41. I will get all the glory. The servant is worthy to be served. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be honored. 
And he calls you to look to him, to behold him, to see him for who he is and what he does for sinners like, like us. And dear child of God, as you enter this week, as you look forward with anticipation to next week, he calls you to give him the glory because he is the one who has opened your eyes. And how do we do that? Well, we behold the servant of the Lord. We honor him. We listen to him. We heed his call to remember him. Remembering what he has done as he gave himself to suffering and death and he now calls his people to do this in remembrance of him. By beholding the Lamb of God, the servant of the Lord, The dear people of God, this coming Lord's Day, may you hear the Lord's call. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. Amen. Lord, as we stand in awe of the servant, as we behold him in his beauty, his majesty, his glory, as we see him as one equipped for the mission that was set before him, as the humble and gracious servant who was successful who completed the task that was given to him. Lord, we we rejoice. We praise thee for who thou art. Lord, we marvel that thou hast come and was willing to have dealings with sinners, was willing to open blind eyes and to release the captives free. Do go before us, Lord, into this week. May it be a week of, yes, examination of our own hearts and lives, but also a week where we have the privilege, we we look to the servant, we behold him in his beauty. Lord, do be with thy people, people who may be struggling. Lord, help them to keep their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.